All right. So it's that time of year where everyone starts to think about not only the end of this current year, but also the beginning of the next. And friends, we've got some big plans for next year, but we'll save that for our episode number 200. (laughs) Our next episode, which will also be our first episode of 2023. And so this episode will be a little bit of a year in reflection for us. And if these questions resonate with you, we hope you'll spend a little time sitting with these questions or maybe some other reflection questions for yourself regarding this year before moving on to the next. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We are your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Sarah, I want to kick this off with a question for you. But first, I want to talk about why we're even asking each other questions. Oh, yes. Because I think that this is largely due to you because you always push me to ask your own (laughs) questions or, you know, pick a word. Which you'll never do again. (laughs) Never picking a word again. Um, And if you're unfamiliar with why that is the case, then you should go back and listen to some of our past year-end episodes where I discuss that in detail not going to relive that. In year. particular, the year going into 2000. No. Oh my gosh. We've known each other that long, but no. I know. 2020. <laughs> it seems like uh, 2000 at this point. Yeah. But I asked you that question about what you wanted and oh, I don't think we anticipated nope. a global pandemic PTSD, that year. friends. Not going to do that. But this year we're going to ask each other some questions. A couple of the same, a little bit of the different ones. But Sarah, where'd you get these questions? First of all, So there is a person named Nedra Tawab on Instagram, who's a therapist, and they posted these questions, and I wanted to ask them as a reflection opportunity for a little bit of, you know, a closer look at how our work has impacted us, how we live through our work, how we want to really continue to be in integrity with the stuff that we do. I also have like a whole set of other questions that relate to our personal lives and our accomplishments and that sort of stuff. So if you have any desire to do further digging, just drop us a line at hello at dearwhitewomen.com and I'd be happy to send that to you. So we published a book last year called Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism. And a lot of that is about you know, getting uncomfortable talking about this sort of stuff. It's the core of our podcast, of our platform, and it's about conversation. So I was really curious for you, what is the hardest thing you said to someone this year? So the hardest thing I said to someone, it was actually a group of someone's. And it was hard for me because I really grew up a people pleaser And in a lot of ways, culturally, as Sarah, you and I have discussed on this podcast, like the expectation was, especially as Asian women, you stay quiet, you make yourself small, you don't raise your voice, right? And without getting it going into too much detail, there was, you know, a series of incidents in the spring that relates to my kids in sports. And it was around the treatment, not only of my family when it came to a specific sport, but also how I felt the emphasis was on winning, right? Rather than loving the game. And this relates to baseball. So loving the game of baseball, but the adults in the league were really, really focused on winning at all costs and winning at all costs was and is damaging. I 100% believe that, especially when your kids are young, like mine are, right, in elementary school. And so 
the thing that I said was I told the league that we weren't going to come back and play as a family. And not only because of this principle of winning, but because of the treatment of my family in the league. And some of that, yes, has to do with the fact that my family doesn't look like the other families in the league. And I have to say that I wrote out what I was going to say. You know, I ended up reading it over Zoom to a whole number of people on Zoom, a lot of whom were white and male. And before this Zoom call, I thought about it for literally months. Like I would wake up at two and three in the morning sometimes just thinking about what I was going to say or how I was going to say it. And this feeling, I had this terrible feeling for literally months. And I was like, how am I still feeling this for months? But that feeling went away immediately after I said what I had to say. And old Misasha would have never never said this, would have probably rather wished to spontaneously burst into flames than ever <laughs> I'm, li- I'm not joking. But this Misasha, and I think it a lot of it has to do with the work that we do, right? Where we get really loud, where we say the things that people are afraid to say, right? And we say it in spaces that probably don't want to hear it, but enabled me to find the words to stand up, not only for my family, right? But for what I firmly believed to be true and still believe to be true about perspective, right? And who are we raising this next generation to be? Because I think we talk about that a lot on the podcast as well. Like our work is for this next generation, right? It's not even so much for our generation as it is for the next. But it was incredibly uncomfortable to say at the time. But man, if you are thinking about having these conversations, like, let me tell you, there was, I'm not sure there would have been a better therapeutic result in my life than saying what I had to say. And it was a full-on speech. Like I was reading it like I was podcasting. You know, I've got my podcast voice on. I had the setup, like how we podcast. So yeah, that was it. A months-long journey to these five minutes of talking. I remember you sharing with me so much about the things related to that. And I remember feeling so deeply proud of you, so happy that your boys have you to advocate for them. And it's interesting for you, you know, I've always seen you as someone who has this voice, who has incredible insight and opinions and thoughtfulness and just strength, like tremendous amounts of strength. So I had no doubt you could deliver it, but I love that you just said your old me, Sasha, new me, Sasha, and the growth that you feel internally and in your willingness to use your voice. You are amazing. And I love you. And I'm proud of you for that. That's awesome. I love you too. And thank you. Thank you. Because sometimes how I see myself, right? It's natural. I think how we see ourselves is different than how others see us. So I feel really seen. Thank you. So speaking of, you know, the old me and the new me, right? Sarah, I have a question for you. As we think about this year, right? What is different about you from this time last year? Great question. Question. So this time last year, we had just come off of a very exhausting set of (laughs) promotions for the book that we had just published. Plus, we were rocking the podcast. And I think at that point, I still was working on finding my voice. I felt like in the, the writing format where you have the ability to like edit like write a draft and then like edit the stuff and then produce it and and that sort of stuff. That's cool. But we were so new to media at that stage and we made so many media appearances. And I feel like at this 
point, having done our show, having written about it, having talked so much over the last year, I feel this work very deeply. I'm much more comfortable in the discomfort. Like I feel very grounded in my place, like I belong in this conversation. As you know, after the Atlanta shootings in 2021 was the first time that I felt like my personal identity, even as you know, a person who for the first half of my life lived under my Japanese mom's roof and felt very, very Asian. My friends were Asian. I, like, I lived heavily in my Asian identity. Second half of my life after my white dad died, and then I married a white guy and then lived in white parts of the country. I like played white for a while. I had also last year only been new to this embracing of my biracial identity and my belonging in both communities. It was still just tiptoeing in. And so I feel like I feel really more whole and more belonging and more willing to in the moment interrupt conversations, in the moment speak up, in the moment just say what I believe in because I have a lot more confidence in all of this stuff all around. Oh, I love that. I'm really proud of you because I've seen this journey. And sometimes I challenged part of this journey. The part when I called myself, we, when I was talking about the white people, is that what you're talking about? In a nice-ish way. Well, but I think part of it also is, right, I'm married to a white man and my children, my girls present as white. And I think for a long time, you know, you and I have the same racial identity and racial background, but you're married to a black man and your children, the world sees as black. And so I felt almost like, do I belong here? Can I do enough to support your family? How am I? I'm staring at like white looking faces all day long when we were in the middle of the pandemic. Like, (laughs) am I okay? You know, do I know enough? And can I do more good than harm by being in this conversation? And so, yeah, anyway. Thanks for observing and calling me on some of my uh, not seeing accurate (laughs) reflections of myself in the mirror and all that sort of stuff. All right. Well, how about you? What's different about you from this time last year? I think that I'm even more convinced about the necessity of our voices and people who look like us in this space, I think, because I think being biracial, bicultural, right, or multiracial, multicultural is still really nuanced in a lot of ways and also really hard for people to understand. But I think it's kind of like a superpower, you know, because we're able to navigate spaces that you wouldn't necessarily be in, right? If you were just of one race, right? Or one culture. And I think that the ability to see that basically from birth, right? And to get to know spaces in sort of unfiltered ways is really, really powerful if we're talking about bringing people together, right? Because I, I think about, you know, what Angela, our publisher said, one of the titles for the book, right, was or like was about bridges, you know, and, and I didn't think of myself as a bridge, right, in any sort of form. But I, I think that that is really true about our identities, right? And we talk about it, you were just talking about it, actually sort of bridging those identities. And I think that there have not been a lot of, or I haven't seen a lot of voices like ours, quite like ours in this space, because I think there's a lot of questions around identity that I, you know, you were just talking about, I've dealt with too my whole life, right? Am I too white, too Japanese, not white enough, not Japanese enough? And a lot of those labels are being put on us by people, not only in those racial groups, right, but outside of those racial groups. And I think that if we're really talking about belonging and inclusion, like who better to talk about than people who straddle, especially if it's in the racial realm, right? Who better to talk about it than people who 
deeply understand what it feels like to not belong in so many spaces. So it makes me really proud of the work that we do, but it, it it makes me, you know, increasingly feel like we need to hear more voices like ours, right? So whatever I can do, I feel like whatever we can do to support not only our own voices, but voices who are like ours and identities like ours in this space, I think is super important. I like that. Okay. So Sarah, what, you know, we talk a lot about the inner work that we do, right? Especially my life coaching work. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, as my friend who loves questions the most, I, I want to ask you a question about inner work, right? Like what internal challenge this year has taught you the most about yourself? As it relates to our work. Okay. So, oh, this year was a very challenging year on the home front. We just had a lot of stuff that was going on. And oh my gosh, there were so many times that I was like, how do we make it through this? How do I advocate for all of them? How do I'm going to cry? Oh my God, (laughs) I don't want to cry. But it was a hard year. And first of all, I want to say I'm a fucking badass and we did it. So I do want to say we have arrived and I feel good. But through this, it was hard because I like to live in integrity. And a lot of my lifestyle, a lot of our values, a lot of how I've raised the children have been around this idea of asking questions and critical thinking, but also the field of positive psychology and the stuff that I know and we know as a society that science shows we can do to live a better life. And through these challenges, it became pretty apparent there's only so much energy time, money, and energy that there is to go around to do the things that we need to, to survive. And so, I mean, you are very aware of this. In the spring, I was like, okay, in the fall, let's prepare to do blah, 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 blah. And I was coming up with all of these ideas for things that I thought we could do with the platform. And you very wisely were like, let's, my gut feel says, let's put a pin in that. That's great. But you have a lot of stuff going on. And I appreciated that, first of all, so much because oh my goodness, by the time fall and, and has come around, I was like flat out just making it, right? But I made it because we had created the space intentionally in our platform to do what we say, which is let's make this sustainable. The internal challenge part, aside from just having the like gumption and will to just continue to fight for and push through this period of time of uncertainty and unknowns to get to this place of like, whew, we know what ha- is happening now, was that I didn't feel like I could do as much of the work that I wanted to do around racial and social justice. I was incredibly envious of you, of people who who like had the skills and energy. And like, even if you didn't have the time or energy, like did it anyway, I was basically at my, like my max out point. And so I had to pull off of a board of an organization that supports youth voice. I had to like, to really focus on getting our foundations firm. And I miss that real life involvement, that real life engagement with people in the community, with people who are doing the work, like the stuff that we talk about on our show, like of doing it. I don't want to just be on social media or be the voice on the mic, you know, talking out there doing stuff. I'm really grateful that by the end of the year, I had two opportunities to do speaking gigs in town where I got to bring our perspectives to real life people and and really engage and challenge people in a different way. And I'm looking forward to doing more of those in addition to, or maybe that is the work that I want to continue doing, but Finally, knowing that I have more physical and emotional and like mental capacity again, hopefully, to figure out how I want to show up in this work more, 
I keep like wanting to like put my hands down to the ground, like rooted, like community, real life engaged, you know, that feeling. I want to get into the weeds and like do some juicy work, even if it's not like flashy. I just, I miss that. But I realized that at the end of the day, if the foundations aren't solid, I can't, none of the other work is sustainable. So I'm really glad that I had the strength. I had the willpower. I had the best friend to push me to stick with like tending to the home front and my own energy and my own needs first before I spread myself too thin and ultimately, you know, would not have been able to be sustainable with the work. Well, and like I told you before we recorded, I'm totally taking that W. You're the best, best friend. Thank (laughs) you very much. (laughs) But also, I mean, as long as I have known you, you are a fighter. So I... I'm not at all surprised that you fought this year, you know? And I think the thing about racial and social justice work, right, is that there's always racial be there. and social Shit. justice work. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Uh, it's not over with 2022, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, you know, I'm so excited to see how that continues to show up for you, right? And how you build that, too. Because I think people who listen to us know that we build a lot together. And sometimes because we are two different people, we build stuff separately too. But it's all linked, right? And I think that's the amazing part. So totally I'm proud of you, my friend. Thank you. Um, Don't make me cry. Okay. But I'm not going to make you. Well, I've already made you cry on the podcast <laughs> before. Wouldn't be the first time. But, and like a jackass, I'm totally going to make light of that too. So, <laughs> But you mentioned something. So I want to ask you about this because you talked about living in integrity, right? And so I want to ask this year, right? And thinking about our work and a little bit about life outside work, because I think this related, right? How did you align your behavior with like the values that we talk about? One of our values that I think we both have is to fight for the kids, right? And you said it earlier that we do this work hopefully to reach, you know, a lot of our generation so that we can intentionally engage with the next generation and have a, an exponential effect on the change metric that we want to bring to the table for what the world will look like when they grow up. And it was for them that I also fought this year. Like I had to save energy to be there to do this work with them. And it was really cool seeing them like They knew that I was present for them and that I had energy for them, but it was really cool seeing them proud of me when I got dressed up and I went out and did those talks or when we would have conversations behind the scenes about what is going on in the real world and couching them in a way that they could understand at their middle school age, but be thinking critically about it. That sort of stuff was, it was embedded in our day to day, like helping us all think and do and experience. And so I don't know if that like we just live this. This is how we live is being thoughtful and noticing stuff almost all the time about what we're watching, what we're eating, what the news is saying, who's at school, what are the stories, like this sort of stuff. And so I think I did my utmost this year in terms of those values of leaning into the kids and ensuring that they have all of their health in order and also have, you know, some really solid critical thinking and observation skills going on so that they can run with that for their whole future. I like that. I think because you're right, a lot of what we do is for our kids or not necessarily even our kids, but that generation and the hope that that generation holds, right? So I think it is really living our values, right? If this is, because I think that one of the things we talk about a lot is 
And I mean, we're literally going to give a talk on this, but how equity, right? How inclusion, how all of those things happen in your daily life, right? And what better way to model that, right? Than with your kids. So because there's that ripple effect too, right? Your kids take that out of your house into their world. Absolutely. And I feel like I even had a time where there was something with a teacher who, as it turns, I didn't know but then found out that it was a teacher of color. And I, this sounds so stupid. I feel like I'm like, oh, look at how amazing I am. So I don't mean it like that, but (laughs) I know that the administrators at our kids' school are white. And I did not know. I had confidence and hope that they would treat this situation with equity, but I wasn't sure. So I really worked as intentionally as I could to make sure that I built the support for this teacher, even though I really wanted to get more information about what was going on to treat the situation as sensitively as possible. And I made sure the kids knew that that was what I was doing afterwards, because I didn't want to go in there guns blazing and be insensitive to the fact that society is totally stacked against Black women. And I think, I mean, I talked to you about that too. And mm-hmm. and um, all of those little moments are opportunities to live our values with this work, I guess is what I want to say. So I think that's the kind of stuff that I did with regards to the kids this year in terms of the behavior, but how about you? I mean, I feel like this is your whole like life. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, well, it was funny because I, I had mentioned to someone like fairly recently that I was an attorney, which I don't typically lead with at all in conversation. You, you don't say my name is Misasha Graham Esquire. I mean, I don't. I thought <laughs> that's on the business card that I passed out as I meet people, <laughs> so I don't actually have to say it out loud. No, but you know, and it was funny because this person then assumed that this entire, because I also mentioned that we have a podcast. And so the assumption was that this was a legal podcast. And there were, you know, like, and I was like, oh, no, now like lawyering <laughs> is kind of like my fun job. Um, but I'm just kidding. Oh, versus that. this one, which is definitely not fun at all. <laughs> it's not fun. You know, we have the cheery intro and then we're like, boom, systemic racism. Doom and dread. <laughs> hey, some of us love that. But anyway, no, but it made me think like, you know, the law that I practice now, as I've talked about on the podcast, is law that is only in service of sort of the values that we have. And that is not something I've been able to say throughout my life. And it is an incredible privilege to be even able to do that, right? But it is that right now, that portion of my life is aligned with, you know, what we talk about on the podcast, and then what we talk about on the podcast, and what we write about in our book, and what we speak about, you know, at corporations or schools, or all of that is what I talk about in my house, right? (laughs) Like every day. And sometimes, Sometimes it's what I talk about in my kids' school. And sometimes it's, you know, the not today patriarchy sweater that I wear to Little League games. So if you're listening and you see a woman in that sweater, it's me. And otherwise, you know, just trying to make sure that this is what what we talk about on the podcast, the issues that are very real for our family. But there are other issues we talk about that are not real for my family in certain ways, but real in other ways. For other people too. To follow up on that, could you give our listeners a little bit of the detail about what you do with the law? Because the voter protect, like the stuff you do is so cool. And I love that you do this work. I love that you think it's cool because I mean, I couldn't do it. So it's cool cool that you do Um, it. No, I really think it's incredible. No, some of it is related to redistricting, right? And, you know, Sarah, we've talked about on the podcast about how you know, like, for example, redlining, right, creates different neighborhoods and different communities based on, has historically created different communities based on race. 
and this is exhibit, you know, 2,500,000 as to why racism is still a problem today, because the effects of redlining are still being felt today. And the way that after every census, right, without going into the 20, you know, hour long legal explanation about this, after every census, all the districts are redrawn based on population. And the way that they are redrawn, depending on your state, may not be fair. And so a lot of some the legal work that I do now looks at redistricting and looks at what happened in 2011, what's been happening in 2021, what are the legal challenges to that, what's the effect that it's having on the state? Because there are a lot of organizations out there looking at this, but it's really, really important because the Supreme Court is going to be hearing at least one case about this. And so this is fundamental to your right to vote, right, as a citizen. So in, along with that, depending on the election cycle, I will help address legal challenges that come up in my home state of California that could threaten people's ability to vote. So a lot of it is about protecting the vote. And next year, you're going to hear us talk a lot about Moore v. Harper, but that is a really crucial Supreme Court case about making sure that one person gets one vote. And so... I think that there's a lot of stuff that is taken for granted in this country because we've had these rights for a long time that is not actually, that is being challenged right now. And so those are the things that I like to focus on because I have this fancy law degree and feel like, you know, there are things that I can do with this that are tangible somewhat, and also really lead towards furthering the values that Sarah, you and I talked about, which is like make sure our kids have the ability to vote. Like the fact that we are in 2022 and throughout this year talking about how our children may have less rights than we have, right, is terrifying. And that's not how democracy should be working. So if we believe that democracy is better than this, then we have to fight for that. And so that's why I feel like I have the privilege and the ability to use my legal skills for this. So I'm going to do it. You badass. <laughs> you have been listening to the two badasses behind <laughs> Dear White Women, leaving everyone with a note that we hope you take time to reflect on some of these questions or how you align your behavior with these values or what you've done that's challenged yourself. Because I think if we consider what we're grateful for and what we are proud of ourselves for this last year, it could really inform what we want to do with our time, money, and energy in 2023. For what it's worth, we are here. We are here for questions. We are here to be hired to bring into your organization, your corporation, your schools. We are doing this work continuously, both on the air and behind the scenes. So follow us on Instagram, sign up for our newsletter. Definitely drop us a line. And we look forward to continuing to be in touch with you all. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list. <laughs>